0: Like last Sunday night, we're not going to have a particular text. Can you hear me? Am I on? So no particular text, various passages, a topical message. And I guess that we're going to have a number of messages like this in the series on the Holy Spirit, where it's going to be uh, particularly uh, doctrinal. Doctrine, the teaching of the person of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Spirit. And if you did not hear last Sunday night's message on who is the Holy Spirit, I strongly want to encourage you to either read it on the blog, it's in Afrikaans, or you can listen to the audio or watch the video in English. So tonight then, the Holy Spirit, His glory. And God willing, next week, I'll preach on the Holy Spirit, our Creator. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Great God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus, the Lord of glory, the God of majesty, Holy Spirit, the eternal one, the everlasting spirit of the living God, equal to the Father and the Son, we worship you, triune God. Glory and praise and honor belong to you in all your beauty and splendor. And we pray that you would this evening speak with us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now when you hear that word glory, that's not a word we commonly use in everyday language. I actually checked the word online on Oxford languages. And then you've seen that I use this every week uh, when I do my sermon prep. What's the English for this word? What's the Afrikaans? For this word and so on And then it, showed, it shows you um, different usages of that word, and I'll check the word "glory," and then, if you scroll down, you can actually sh- uh, click "Show more." And then it says the use of the word in the English language. Then it shows the word "glory" in 1800s on a graph, and it starts at the top, and then uh, 1850. 1900 goes down, and then 1950. It's very low, and where we are today, the word glory is not really used outside of um, Christianity, Christian circles. So, what do we mean when we speak of uh, glory or the glory of the Holy Spirit? What do you see? When I do my sermon prep, and especially coming week, I'm going to type out the sermon. This sermon is just sermon notes, short notes, but I type it out for the blog in the week to come. And then I always look for a picture. So what, well actually I do it beforehand because I send it to him, Ati. Uh, What do you see when you see the word glory? What picture would you choose? Maybe a sunset, beautiful sunset, maybe brilliant light, uh, maybe majestic mountains. What does the Bible mean when it uses the word glory? Actually, when the Bible uses that word glory, it speaks of the visible manifestation of God, uh, of God's attributes, who He is. It speaks of um, the visible revelation of God when God reveals Himself and shows Himself in all His beauty and majesty and splendor and holiness. So, So actually you can say the glory of God is God's holiness put on display. Now, the Father, the Son... And the Holy Spirit share the same glory. Last Sunday evening, I quoted some verses to you. For instance, in the book of Acts, in chapter 7, we read of the God of glory. And then we find in Ephesians 1, verse 17, the Father of glory. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 8, the Lord of glory who was crucified. Or James 2, verse 1, Jesus, the Lord of glory. One Peter four, verse 14, "The spirit of glory." So the Holy Spirit shares the glory of the Father and the Son." Now you know as well as I do that the Bible says God shares His glory with no one." Isaiah 48:11. So if he shares His glory with the Spirit, who is the Holy Spirit? Now when we speak of the glory of the Spirit, the theme, His glory, remember, the Holy Spirit is invisible. He's a spirit. So how do we speak of the visible manifestation of His beauty and holiness and splendor? Uh, the Bible actually does this by using different illustrations or word pictures to depict the Holy Spirit. So the first word picture is, or maybe, maybe before I get there, maybe you can help me. Name some pictures in the Bible that is used of the Spirit. Fire, dove, oil, water, water. Wind, and there's one more because there's six. Pardon? Okay, the sword of the Spirit is the Bible, the Word. Okay, one more, I'll get to that. Okay, so the first one then, water. I remember a, a, a girl, a woman, who went to a worship service with us once. And as, I don't know if you remember this, Didi, she said she was in a strange church, and in that church there were some weird things, and I wasn't there, so I don't know. But she said, and then they sang the song about the Holy Spirit who's like a river. And the Bible doesn't even illustrate the Holy Spirit as a river. Actually, the Bible does. Um, so we got examples of it where the Lord Jesus Christ says at the Feast of Tabernacles in John chapter 7, verse 2, the Eutophius, So it's the Feast of Tabernacles, the Israelites are celebrating, God brought them through the desert, they lived in tents, and He brought water from the rock. And so at this feast, the feast would last seven days, you can read it in Leviticus 23, then one of the priests would go in Jerusalem to the pool of Siloam, and he would take a golden pitcher, a golden flask, and he would scoop water and then go to the temple, to the altar where they brought the sacrifices, and He would pour the water there at the foot of the altar. And the people would be reminded, God gave us water from the rock when we went through the desert. And then they would remember Isaiah chapter 12, um, verse 3 and 4. Let me just get there, Isaiah 12, 3 and 4. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples, proclaim that His name is exalted. So praise the Lord. The wells of salvation are open. And so they would actually think about the Messiah, the special one of God who would come, and He would conquer their enemies, and He would bring to them life overflowing like water, life in abundance. Now Jesus, at that feast, Jesus stands up on the last day of the feast, And he cries out with a loud voice, and what does he say? If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and streams or rivers of water will flow from his inside, from his heart. Jesus was saying, I am that Messiah. I am the rock who gave you water in the desert. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4. Christ was that rock. John 4, verse 14. Come and drink, he said to the woman at the well. And fountains of living water will bubble from the inside. So Jesus is the one who gives that living water. Jesus is the one from his buckets. He will scoop water and streams will come from his buckets. Numbers 24 verse 7, which is a prophecy about the Messiah. Now Jesus gives the living water, but what is that living water? The Holy Spirit. Jesus says so. In the next verse, he says, John writes, and this he said about the Holy Spirit. John 7 verse 39. And so the Spirit now comes and the Spirit brings uh, this water. Now, why water? Rolf, why does he use water? What's the point? What does water do for us? Cleanses. Cleanses. What else? Quenches. Quenches your thirst. It refreshes you. It uh, vitalizes, what else? Life. life, life. You can't live without water. And so the Spirit brings all of this. And, and something else that water does, you can ask my wife. Because now she's getting the garden ready for spring and for summer. Water f- brings flourishment, if that's an English word. Uh, it makes everything flourish. It transforms So you've got the desert and when rivers come, the Okavango, when it overflows its banks in the rainy season in Angola and all the water comes. Was it a thousand miles or a thousand kilometers? I'm not sure. But the water comes and there's life. There's a watery paradise. Purifies. Uh, A lot of verses. Maybe you want to be very quick with me tonight. Isaiah 32. Isaiah 32. Verse 12, Isaiah prophesies and he says in 32, 12, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Go to Isaiah 44, chapter 44, verse 3 and 4. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. Now, what is the water and the streams? I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. Then you've got Ezekiel that speaks about the cleansing element of water. uh, Where he says, I will sprinkle clean water upon you and upon your hearts. In Ezekiel 36 verse 25. And then verse 26, he will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And verse 27, I will place my spirit inside you. And the spirit will make you walk in my laws and in my ordinances. And then I, uh, Ezekiel 39, 29 again, pouring the spirit. There's the picture of water pouring. Uh, Ezekiel 47, I love this one, where you see water trickling out of the, the sanctuary, the 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 temple of God. And then it becomes a stream. And then it becomes a bigger stream. And then it becomes a river. And then it becomes a mighty river. And everywhere, anywhere the water flows, it brings life. Right into the Dead Sea, it brings life. And so a picture again of the Spirit that will come and will bring life. In Joel, we read of the Holy Spirit. He says first that He will give them the early rains and the late rains. In its season, in Joel 2.23 and then verse 28. I will pour my Spirit upon you and upon your descendants. I will pour my Spirit on your sons and your daughters. They will prophesy and so on. Uh, in John 3, there you've got another picture of water. If you are not born of water and the Spirit, it's not talking about baptism. Baptism pictures that, but water and the Spirit. It's the spiritual cleansing that the Spirit bring, brings. Born of water and the Spirit, you will not enter the kingdom. And then John seven thirty nine I... I referred to earlier, where the Spirit, Jesus referred to the Spirit when He spoke of these rivers of water flowing from us. Again, in the book of Acts, where Jesus says that on the day of uh, Pentecost, but before that He says, Wait in Jerusalem, you will be baptized with the Spirit. That's a spiritual baptism, and He uses the word baptized, water again, cleansing. Uh, in Acts 2.33, uh, Peter is preaching and He said, Christ has poured His Spirit upon us. The Spirit, the promise He has received from the Father. And then 1 Corinthians 12, love this one. Verse 13, where He says, We have all been baptized in the Spirit. And we have drunk of the Spirit. Like you drink water and it, and it quenches the, the thirst. And it, it cleanses your system. And even in heaven... This is wonderful to think of this. Even in heaven, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit forever. The Spirit will lead you so you can live a perfect and sinless life. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 44, he speaks of we will have a spiritual body. It doesn't mean a body you can do this to, it's see-through. A spiritual body there is the same word he uses in Galatians 6, where he says those who are spiritual should help the brother who has fallen into sin. Spiritual there means controlled and led by the Spirit. You'll have a body that is always led by the Spirit and forever you will drink of the streams of life, which obviously refers to the Spirit Himself that invigorates, that vitalizes, that refreshes and quenches and gives life. Revelation 7 verse 17, the shepherd, Jesus, who is our our shepherd, He will lead us to streams of living water. Revelation 21, the same. Where it says, all who thirst, come and drink from this fountain, this river of life. Revelation 22, you've got the throne of the Father and the Son. And what flows from the throne? A river of life, bright and clear as crystal. And and that river gives life to all in the new Jerusalem. Should we wait until then? Before we drink from this river? (laughs) From the crystal fountain. No, already you can drink by faith in Jesus Christ. The spirit and the bride say come. And let everyone who hears say come. And let everyone who wants come and drink from the water of life freely. Revelation 22:17, 17. Isaiah 55 also. Come and drink of the water of life. It's free. And we find this in Christ. And then once you've, once you've drunk of that water in Christ... Uh, The Spirit coming and giving life. Once that has happened, what's the next step? What's the next thing you do once you've been saved? You publicly announce that and confess that by baptism. Because baptism now pictures this washing, this cleansing. That's why we don't baptize people in sand. We baptize them in water. To say water cleanses. It's a picture of the the baptism of the Spirit and of uh, the new birth It actually says so in Titus chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Uh, The Afrikaans speaks of the bat van die wedergeboorte. Okay, it's a picture of of the new birth, uh, when we are baptized in water. Titus uh, 3, verse 5 and 6. It speaks of Christ saving us, and it says, uh, middle of verse 5, By the washing of regeneration. And renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ. So there's the picture of pouring again, washing, a bath, taking a bath. And so that we picture in baptism, in Acts 10, when the Holy Spirit comes upon the Gentiles, Cornelius and his family. Then it says, Peter says, these people, have have, the, the Spirit has been poured out on them. Now who can stop them from being baptized with water? So now you picture that. And then the next step... Once you've confessed that publicly, the next step is now you keep on drinking of the Spirit through His Word. Uh, Ephesians 5 speaks of, speaks of not getting drunk with wine, but being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we shared, I'll share that in the Veritas class on Tuesday. Where it's parallel to Colossians 3, the let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. So being cleansed and, and drinking, drinking through the Word of the life of the Spirit. Uh, in Psalm 1, we know the Psalm where it says... That the righteous person, the blessed man, he meditates on the law of the Lord, on the word of God, day and night. And that man is like a tree planted by streams of water. And he bears fruit. And the leaves are always green. Bears fruit in a season, it says. uh, In in Psalm, maybe you want to page to this one. Psalm 36, very quickly. Psalm 36. In Afrikaans, it's going to be verse 9 and 10. In the English... It will be verse 8 and 9. Psalm 36, English, verse 8 and 9. Speaks of God's people, His children. And then it says, They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from the river of your delights. Isn't that beautiful? And I think also if we can picture the Holy Spirit as the one who is the river of life. Drink from the river of your delights, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see the light. So drink of the Spirit. And then there's a next step. So it's not only the new life and then picturing it in baptism and confessing it and then keep on drinking from the Word, but you drink so much from this river of the Spirit through the Word That now it starts filling and filling and filling and filling and eventually what happens? The heart bursts and rivers of life flow from the inside. John 7 verse 38. And everywhere that river goes, what happens? It brings life and you start influencing people you work with. Your family, colleagues, children at school, neighbors, wherever you go. Second picture is breath. Some of you said wind. Wind and breath go together. Breath and wind. Uh, You know this hymn, many of you. Breathe on me breath of God. Fill me with life anew. That I may love what thou dost love and do what thou wouldst do. And that's very biblical to speak of the Holy Spirit as breath. Actually, the Hebrew word for spirit And the Greek word for spirit means breath and wind and spirit. Uh, The Greek word, you will know, you'll recognize the Greek word pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, pneumonia. You've got problems with the lungs. So that's a biblical illustration. So the Holy Spirit to the believer is like oxygen to the lungs. And you've got this, for instance, for instance, in John 20, verse 22. Jesus, after the resurrection, breathes on the disciples. He blows on them. And He says, receive the Holy Spirit. So he, what, is, what does breath do for us? Yes, gives life. What else? Gives life, but it also gives oxygen to the blood, vitality, energy, strength. Because you, you've got fresh air. And so that's how the Holy Spirit is. So He empowers us. And He empowers us especially to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and to tell others about Him. So you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. We know the rest of the verse. So the Spirit comes like that. The the Spirit comes because when Jesus blows on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit, the next verse, He says, I send you out. As the Father sent me, I send you so, this is the message they take out. All the spiritual gifts. The Spirit comes like breath, and He gives life to us and strength to us so we can use the gifts to serve. What will happen without the Holy Spirit if you try to go and preach the Word? Pardon? You might do it falsely. You might do it falsely. What if you do it truly? Truly, you preach the true word of God. But if the Holy Spirit doesn't work, nothing will happen. Yeah. Yeah, if the Lord does not build the house in vain, the laborers build. If the Lord does not protect the city in vain, that you have soldiers, guards on the walls. So if the Holy Spirit does not accompany the word, and you know there are preachers today... I was even in that trap at a time. There are preachers today who think they should just preach the word clearly and purely and the Spirit will work. Not true. Not true. You've got a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15 to 17, or 14 to 17. It speaks of the Scriptures being read to the Jews every Sabbath, but they are blind. The true word is read to them. They cannot see Christ in there. But then it says, But where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Lord is the Spirit, or the Spirit is the Lord. So where the Lord comes, where the Spirit comes, the veil is removed. And they see the beauty and the glory and the majesty and the divinity of Christ. Lives are changed That is why we have prayer meetings. Not the only reason, but one of the reasons is we pray for the preaching of the word. That the Holy Spirit will accompany the word. You see this in Ezekiel 37. There's the valley of dry bones. You remember that? And so then God says to Ezekiel, prophesy. Can these dry bones live? He says, Lord, you know. And he says, prophesy to these dry bones. And then there's a rattling and every bone comes to its friend. And they match. And it's that person's body and that person's skeleton. And then muscles come. And veins. And nerves. And later on you've got the intestines and the vital organs. And then skin. And then hair. Are they alive? But the word was preached. Then God says, prophesy to the breath. Hebrew word, The Spirit. And then the Spirit comes and He enters these bodies. And they breathe and they live and they stand up a mighty army. That is preaching accompanied by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul knew this. In the book of Acts chapter 16, Paul is preaching. Oh, and Lydia, she's heard the Scriptures before. But then it says, And the Lord opened her heart. To pay attention to what was being said by Paul. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 5. Our gospel came to you not in word only. Is it possible to preach the gospel and people just hear words? Yes. Is the word living and powerful? Yes. But sinners are dead. It's like, it's like people sitting here and we've got load shedding and it's dark. Can you see? No. What if I switch on the lights? Can you see? What if you are blind? Even with lights on, you won't see. The Bible is lights on. It's the powerful and living word of God. But people are blind. The Spirit needs to come. Our Word gospel came to you not in word only, but with the Holy Spirit and with power. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4. Our gospel came to you not in words of human wisdom but with a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Henry Martin, the missionary, said, The finest words and arguments without the power of the Holy Spirit are so much wasted breath. Only God can give a man new life, end quote. So that would mean, and I want to train you and teach you as the Holy Spirit is training and teaching me through the Word when I prepare these sermons. That would mean we do not only pray for the preacher. We pray for the hearers. Because the word, it can be pure. But if the Spirit does not accompany the word, it's like the sword is not drawn from the sheath. And the Spirit doesn't wield it to cut and to wound and then to heal. So let's pray for that. Let's pray for the hearers. On Sundays, let's pray for the hearers at Manger. We prayed for Wimlen this morning, but don't forget to pray for the hearers. We prayed for Kurs last Sunday. Pray for the hearers. Pray for the children at Kids Club. Pray for the people that will hear when Ibert and Lawrence and Timothy and Jennifer go out evangelizing. Sure, street evangelism or wherever you go. And then the Holy Spirit comes. And can we control the Spirit? Can you control the wind? The Holy Spirit will decide, as He wills, whether He comes as breath, raising one person, or whether He comes as a mighty wind, a rushing wind in Acts 2, and there's a revival. Because the Spirit is like the wind. He blows wherever He wishes. John 3, verse 8. Third picture is fire. Now, when I say the Holy Spirit is like fire, this term is very much abused and misused. When we say the Holy Spirit is like fire, it's not what you find in the New Apostolic Reformation. This is a wacko, extreme charismatic group. Uh, for instance, Bethel Church, some of you know the seeds of Jesus Culture or Bethel Music. And so they make a, a tunnel of fire. They've got two rows of people standing, a row standing here, a row here, and then these are supposed to be more mature believers and then a newbie, a rookie, a new Christian. He will come through this tunnel of fire and they will speak in tongues and prophesy and lay hands on and heal. And, and then the person will start shaking and falling down, slain in the spirit and laughing uncontrollably and all that kind of stuff. That is not what we mean. The Bible never even speaks of a fire tunnel. That's not what we mean. And that's not how the spirit comes as fire. When we speak of the Spirit coming as fire, the Spirit comes as fire where believers are earnest in prayer. And then again, the Spirit is sovereign. He can decide to come how He pleases and when He pleases. But you see this in Acts 1. The believers in the upper room, and it says, they are continuing steadfastly in prayer, earnestly, seriously in prayer. And then Acts 2, the Spirit comes. And He comes as fire. And you see the flames above every believer's head. Why? Why the picture of fire? Now, we can give a lot of answers. Let me just say about that picture. Um, in the Old Testament, you've got the tabernacle, the tent. This is God's holy tent. And only the priests are allowed to go in. And only the high priest allowed to go into the Holy of Holies once a year. What is above the tabernacle? Everywhere they go, that something is above the tabernacle. It's the pillar of Fire. The pillar of cloud. You read this in Numbers 9, verse 15 and 16. This fiery pillar above the tabernacle. So now in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit comes like fire above every believer's head on the day of Pentecost. Why? To say that now every Christian is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit indwells every believer and is upon them. And that that fire, why the picture of fire? What does fire do? Pardon? Burns, gives light. What else? Purifies, yes, purges like gold. So now we have fire. And in Revelation 4 verse 5, the Holy Spirit, we read of Him as, the Holy Spirit was like seven burning torches, fockles before the throne of God. But then in Revelation 1, you read of the seven churches, and they are like seven candlesticks, lampstands. So it's the Holy Spirit. He ignites the church. He's like fire. And so now we burn and we shine the light to the world. Jesus said that in Matthew 5. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so the Spirit comes in that way. We call upon the Spirit now and we pray to him in Acts 4. And the Spirit comes. The place where they are praying together is shaken and they all go out and speak the word of God with boldness. The light spreads and the light shines to unbelievers, to the world. And some of us sitting here tonight, your flame is very small. It's become weaker. It it burnt stronger maybe a few weeks or months ago or last year or some years ago. And now it's like the flame has died down. It's not dead yet. And Jesus won't allow it to die. But things aren't quite right. And maybe the reason is because you've quenched the flame. You've you've did this. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 19, do not quench the Spirit. How do you quench the Spirit? The Spirit moves. And the Spirit's prompting you. And it's like He's drawing you and say, come, get aside. Get aside. And it's, it actually it's like your heart is warmed to go and set time aside to pray. Your heart is warmed and moved to sing praises to the Lord. Your heart is moved with love to Christ and obeying Him, serving Him. Your heart is moved to step aside and meditate on the Scriptures and think over the Word of God. But then you you don't respond. You say, no, no, I don't have time for that now. quenching the flame. And so you need to confess that to the Lord tonight if that's you. Say, Lord, I quench the flame. I've quenched the Spirit. Please forgive me and please help me. And then the Spirit will help you. And how you get that done again is first to confess and second now to go back to the Scriptures and pray over them and meditate and spend time in prayer and obey. And the Spirit now, it's like 2 Timothy 1 verse 6, fan into flame the gift that is in you. Fan into flame. Start serving again. Start your quiet time again. Pick it up again. Start your prayer times again. Fan it into flame. Boil with zeal for the Lord. And obey, especially obey, because the God gives His Holy Spirit to those who obey Him. Acts chapter 5 and verse 32. And then be very thankful when that fire does come and the flame burns again, be very thankful that that fire does not consume you. Because our God is a consuming fire, but He doesn't consume, He doesn't burn up His children. It's like the fire in the burning bush with Moses. The fire burns, but the bush is not burnt up. And so the fire burns in us, but we are not burnt up. What does that fire do? The fire purges. The fire purifies, it refines. That fire removes the dross from our gold and silver the impurities. And so he burns that away. You're put into the fire of trials by the Spirit. And then he cleanses. Jesus puts you in the fire like silver. He refines you, it says in Malachi 3, verse 2 and 3. And so it burns away, burns away. Makes you more and more like Christ. You know how they do that with silver. You've seen the WhatsApps go around where the silversmith, and Charles, you will have to help us if this is true, that the silversmith purifies and purifies and purifies the silver until he sees his reflection in the silver. Then he knows it's pure. And so the Lord does that with us through trials until he sees his reflection in us, the image of Christ restored in us. And we are pure. Isaiah chapter 4, verse 4, I just want to read to you. Isaiah 4, verse 4. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning. Burning the fire. So we'll be cleansed. Fourth picture. A dove. I remember a lady, a dear lady in our church. She said to me, she once spoke to her pastor Uh, a previous church she attended and she was a member there but the church closed down but she said she remembers that she always thought that the Holy Spirit really came in a bodily form like a dove and then her pastor said no when he says like a dove it doesn't mean he was a dove came like a dove didn't come in some bodily form didn't he? Luke 3 tells me Verse 21 and 22, when Jesus was baptized, the Spirit came down in bodily form like a dove. So He did come down in bodily form like a dove. Why a dove? Where in the Bible do you find water and a dove? Noah's Ark. Where else do we find water and the Spirit hovering over the water like a bird? Genesis 1 verse 2, creation. So why does the Spirit come upon Jesus like a dove and remain on him? To show he is the one who brings a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5:17. And then he is the one who brings new life. Do you remember the dove with Noah's Ark? And the dove brought eventually. A freshly plucked olive leaf to show there's new life. So the Spirit comes to show Jesus brings new life. And Peter makes that connection between Noah's Ark and baptism. 1 Peter 3 verse 20 and 21 speaks of Noah's Ark and people were saved when the flood came. Uh, Noah and his family were saved. And then it says in the next verse, this is pictured by baptism. Wonderful. This picture of the Spirit as a dove. I have to ask you this question tonight. I do not have a choice. Do you have this new life that the Spirit brings? Have you been made a new creature? And it's very easy to say yes. But how will you know you're a new person? You will know that because you're not that old person you used to be anymore. You love obedience. You hate sin. It grieves you. You've repented of sin. Not only sorry about the consequences of sin and the guilty feelings, but you hate sin because it grieves God. It grieves the Spirit. It dishonors Christ. You love obedience. That's how you show your love to Jesus. If you love me, you will obey my commandments, said Jesus. And you fear God. And if you very sincerely pray, I want to repent, I want to trust in the Lord Jesus, please send your spirit. Then the Holy Spirit will come. How do I know that? If you pray sincerely and you trust in Christ truly, the Spirit will come because He's like a dove. And a dove in the New Testament especially pictures sincerity, purity, uprightness, righteousness. Jesus told the disciples, I'm sending you as as lambs in the midst of wolves, be innocent as doves. And the Spirit will then come to you as a dove. That picture, if you seek Him with an upright heart, He desires truth in the inward part. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me, David prayed. Lord, create in me a clean heart. And then later on he said, "Um, a a broken spirit and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So if you come with true humility and uprightness, the Spirit will come and bring that new life. Picture five. Number five. Oil. Now, the ladies here, I know nothing about all your funny oils you use and anti-aging cream and oils and beauty oils and wonderful Uh, women are interesting creatures (laughs) but wonderful Uh, oil soothes and that's that's what we find in the bible also oil was used as medicine and oil was used to soothe wounds like you remember the good samaritan and there's the guy beaten up half dead and then the samaritan comes and what does he do to the wounds Oil and wine, alcohol to kill the germs and then oil to soothe and to comfort and to heal, olive oil. And so the Holy Spirit is like oil. He comes to soothe the wounds made maybe by the trials and sufferings of this life and maybe suffering for Jesus, but also the wounds made by our own sin. In Isaiah chapter 1 verse 6, God says about Israel, the whole head is sick. And the body is sick. And then he sends, and the wounds have not been soothed with oil. There's no healing. And Jeremiah says that. Jeremiah says, oh, all this trouble, my wound is incurable. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no oil to just come and comfort these wounds caused by suffering and by hurt? But the Holy Spirit is that oil for the believer God binds up their wounds. He heals the brokenhearted, says Psalm 147, verse 3. I've seen that happen, obviously in my own life, but I've seen it with church members over many years of ministry and short years in Nelspray. But I've seen that where people have been deeply wounded by sin, by their own sin. And then they have sorrow and remorse and they repent of their sin. And I've seen that, that oil come. And the Spirit come and bring soothing and comfort and the love of the Spirit and the joy of the Spirit and the peace, the great grace of God's Spirit. He's called the Spirit of Grace in Hebrews 10, 29. And He soothes. And then obviously the, the, the refreshment of oil. Um, I told you about my fresh to death. I don't know how this works. I can preach about chocolate and then next week people will bring me chocolate. I can preach about beard oil the next week someone here's some beard oil. I don't use it. I don't have a beard. So i got a new one, cedar wood. Oh, the other one was, was fresh peppermint. <laughs> fresh to death. <laughs> and so, so oil refreshes. And so the Spirit comes like oil and there's a, the Holy Spirit refreshes and He gives us strength. You see that in the Old Testament. Who, who was anointed with oil in the Old Testament? Priests. Prophets, priests, and kings. And I've got verses here for all of them. And so they were anointed with oil as a picture to say, just like this oil runs down and there's perfume and it's a sweet savor, a sweet aroma, but also that refreshment is a picture of the Spirit who now refreshes this person and gives him strength and empowers that prophet, priest, or king for service. And so you get that, for example, with David. It's actually written that way. 1 Samuel 16 verse 13. Samuel poured the oil on David's head and the Holy Spirit rushed upon David. And so David's now empowered for his office as king. And in the New Testament, who's anointed with oil? Well, in the New Testament, the oil of the Spirit comes upon Jesus Jesus with his baptism the spirit comes upon him and the spirit is actually called oil in Hebrews 1 verse 9 and that comes from Psalm 45 but where it says God has anointed you the father speaking to the son with oil of gladness beyond your companions and so this uh, Jesus is then called the anointed one in Acts chapter 4 verse 27 and 28 Or 26 and 27 is called the Anointed One. Your son Jesus whom you anointed. Uh, What is the Greek word for the Anointed One? You can just say it in English or Afrikaans. Christ. Christus. What is the Hebrew word for Anointed One? Messiah. So Jesus is the Anointed One. The Spirit has come upon Him. And He's anointed with power and with the Holy Spirit To go around doing good and preach the good news and so on. Acts 10 verse 38. Why is Jesus anointed? Old Testament, who was anointed? Prophet, priest, king. New Testament, why is Jesus anointed as? Prophet, priest, and king. So He's the priest to bear our sins, to be the sacrifice and to bring the sacrifice. And the priest to pray for us in heaven now at the Father's right hand. He's the king to destroy His enemies, to crush them. And to rule over the universe. And He's the prophet to reveal God's will to us because He Himself is the Word of God. The living Word. And then Jesus, who is anointed with the Spirit. Remember, Jesus became a man as God. He's always been one with the Father and the Spirit. But now as a man, our Messiah, Jesus now anoints who? With oil. The oil of the Spirit. Who? Us. Us. So Jesus anoints us. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 22. He's anointed us with His Spirit. 1 John chapter 2 verse 20 and verse 27. You have received the anointing. The anointing. And that speaks of the Spirit who is now upon believers. So we've been anointed with fresh oil. The oil of the Holy Spirit. The, The picture you find in Psalm 133 where the high priest The oil was poured upon his head and it runs down this perfumed oil. And it runs down his beard, Aaron's beard, right onto the collar of his robes. And the picture is of our high priest, finally Jesus. And he receives the Spirit. He's anointed with the oil of the Spirit and it flows from the head to the body. Who's the body? The church. And so he anoints us with his Holy Spirit as... Prophet, priest, and king. So as prophets, we've been anointed with the Spirit. Acts 2 verse 17. I will pour my Spirit upon your sons and your daughters. They shall prophesy and so on. As prophets now too, be filled with the Spirit, empowered, and you will be my witnesses. And so now we share about the Lord Jesus Christ. Anointed as kings, we will rule and reign with Christ. On his throne, it says in Revelation 3, verse 21 to those who conquer, I will let them sit with me on my throne. And so we rule with Christ over our enemies, the spiritual armor, the armor of God, and we can fight against the enemy and withstand his temptation. And anointed as priests. Oh, I thought only the priest in the Roman Catholic Church is the priest. No, he's not not a priest. All believers are priests. We read in 1 Peter 2 verse 5 and verse 9. We are a royal priesthood and we now bring spiritual sacrifices like prayer and sharing with one another and singing praises to God. Hebrews 13 verse 15 and 16 and a number of other verses. May I ask you and may I answer my question to myself. I sent a voice note to Tani Elise in the week and did you heard me sending it? I just... Because she hasn't been well with health on an orphan, VIP blank. And so Didi said, send that voice note to yourself. Forward it to yourself. And I didn't understand. What does she mean? Forward that to yourself. And I'm trying to say, but how? This is my phone. <laughs> and actually she means, listen to what you say to others. Follow the counsel. I don't know if you feel tired. Because that's what I mean. I feel a bit, maybe let is speak pop. I feel a bit tired, and maybe you do, spiritually, it feels like. I'm just tired. What do we need? Fresh to death. We need a fresh anointing of the oil of the Spirit. And I prayed for that in this week. When I prepared this, I stepped aside. I walked up and down behind the curtains on the stage, because my study is there. And I prayed, Lord, give me a fresh anointing. Psalm 92. Psalm 92. Verse, uh, the heading says a song for the Sabbath, then verse 10, verse 11 in the Afrikaans. Yes, pour fresh oil upon me. Give me that fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit and invigorate me again. Luke 11, verse 13. How much more will your Father in heaven not give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Last picture, number six. What was it? A seal. And a guarantee, a seal. A seal. Now, in, 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 the, in biblical times, you would s- place a seal upon a slave, they would actually burn them with a hot iron. Revelation 7, verse 3, where it speaks of God's people, and he seals them upon their forehead. Seal. And then married people would have a seal. I have one. Yeah. In, in, in the Old Testament, you wouldn't wear it on your finger. You'd wear it around your arm, your wrist, perhaps, or around your neck. Song of Solomon 8, verse 6, Set me as a seal upon your arm or around your neck to show that he's my bride or well, that person belongs to me. And then also, where else would you use a seal? You'd use a seal... As a ring on wax or on clay. So the king would put his seal to show this is genuine. It's really from the king. Esther chapter 3 verse 12. So now we come to the New Testament. And we speak of the Holy Spirit as a seal. Where does the Holy Spirit come as a seal? He comes as a seal on Jesus. John 6 verse 27. The Father has set his seal on Christ. To show that is the genuine Messiah. That is really the Messiah. He belongs to His Father. So that's the real one. And then we receive a seal. We are sealed with the Spirit to show that we are slaves of God. Now, slave in the good sense, it's not a heavy yoke. It's a light burden. We follow Jesus and we delight to do His will. And to show we are the bride of Christ. The seal on your arm or around your neck. And to show we really belong to Him. We are His possession. The King's seal is upon us, the Spirit. Ephesians 1 verse 13 speaks of the Holy Spirit as a seal. We are sealed with the Spirit. Ephesians 4 verse 30. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 22. Set your seal upon me, sealed with the Holy Spirit. And then also the guarantee to show God guarantees. The heavenly inheritance is yours, Jeremy. Ansi? Heaven is yours, eternal life is yours. And God gives you His spirit as a guarantee, down payment, as an engagement ring, not the wedding ring yet, but the engagement ring to say the wedding is coming. As the deposit to say the rest of the money is coming. The rest of the treasure is yours. Ephesians 1, verse 14. Guarantee. 2 Corinthians 1:22 again and 2 Corinthians 5, verse 5. If you say that a Christian can lose his salvation, and some people believe so, but they're wrong, and I'm not even smiling about it, they're wrong. If you say a Christian can lose his salvation, then you say you are implying, without maybe directly saying it or even intending to mean that, but you're implying that the seal of the Holy Spirit means nothing. That seal upon you means you belong to me. Yeah, you can lose that. Oh, then what did the seal mean? Then you say that the guarantee of the Holy Spirit is a bad guarantee. Because he guarantees the inheritance is yours. Oh, you can lose your salvation. Not a very good guarantee. Not a very trustworthy spirit, is he? That would be very bad to say. And then by implication, though you might not mean this, but by implication you say... That the work of Jesus on the cross was a failure. Why? What did Jesus purchase for all those who believe in Him? What did He buy? Yes, He bought forgiveness of sins. Yes, He bought eternal life and many other things. But what is the greatest thing that Jesus bought for us on the cross? Maybe you don't know the verse, but you know the answer. Because I'm preaching about it tonight. Jesus bought for us all those who are in Christ and would trust in Him. The Holy Spirit. Let me read it to you. In Galatians 3. Galatians 3, verse 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, so that... Why did Jesus become a curse? Why did He die on the tree, on the cross? So that, in Christ... The blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. And what is that blessing? So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. The Holy Spirit is the greatest gift Jesus purchased. Jesus purchased for you God himself. And everything else we have in salvation, forgiveness of sins, eternal life, adoption, justification, sanctification, everything else comes from that. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us these gifts. If the Holy Spirit is your seal, if He's your guarantee, then He who began the good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Let us pray. With the hymn writer Andrew Reed, and we're going to sing a song. Thank you very much for your help, Nielsen Mariki. Uh, With Andrew Reed, let us pray that the Spirit would come to us afresh and anew and fill us. Come as the fire and purge us, purge our hearts like sacrificial flame till our whole souls and offering be in love's redeeming name. Come as the dove. And spread thy wings, the wings of peaceful love, and let thy church on earth become blessed as the church above. Come as the wind, O breath of God, O Pentecostal grace. Come, make thy great salvation known wide as the human race. Let's pray. Lord, indeed, would you answer this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and our Saviour. Come, O Spirit, come afresh upon your people. Amen.